Welcome to church. Church, how you doing? You doing well? Yeah. I expect a lot from you. This is going to be fun. We've been celebrating. I don't know if you're brand new and, and, and maybe you're just visiting. Listen up. This past week, we were just finishing, just concluding a week-long intensive of serving our entire area. As far out as 90 miles away, as close as here. So, listen to this. If you missed this or were late or just it went beyond you, let me help you understand that this past week alone, just this past week, if you don't know what a week is, it's seven days. In the past seven days, over 1,900 fountain springers went out all over the community and invested in incredible projects that many nonprofits and schools and individuals uh, had great need of. There, one, we built a, a handicap ramp for a family. We went, we went into 12, I think, different schools, right now in 28 different schools, by the way, annually. We went out all over the place, over 1,900 fountain springers, creating over 9,500 work hours produced, 45 grand invested in one week. Our community is different, and you ought to have a bit of pride in that, not in how awesome you and I are, but that the name of Jesus, we showed people who Jesus is. We didn't just tell them, we showed them. So well done, Fountain Springs. Yeah. Well done. You should tell people, but you better show people, right? And so our community, I believe, is affected. We are not a church that just consumes. We are a church that believes we invest. And so we're going to finish up this series. I'm going to talk to you about some things. Fellas at the RCMU location, ah, so glad you're in on this. Uh, and, and listen to this. We're going to walk through one more passage in the Bible, one, one more piece. And I want you to consider that some of you weren't a part of Love Leak. Uh, some of you missed it schedules-wise, or some of you just literally have been living in a hole, and you're like, Love Week, what happened? You missed it, by the way. So, so, so listen, we don't do Love Week just one time a year. And in fact, all year long, every single week, we as a church are actively involved in the needs of our community. And so I want you to hear about that. We're going to have some storytelling time, huh? It's going to be fun. And so I hope you tune in and listen up. But, but So if you have access to the Bible, go to Matthew 25. That's if you put your thumbs in the middle of your Bible and go to the right, you'll find Matthew 25. If you say, I don't have a Bible, just it'll be on the screens and the TVs and you'll get it. So, so let me start here, though. I need to tell you something very personal. It's about my home. It's about me. And so just open up if you like personal things. In my house, there is a chair. It is my chair. It is not your chair. It is not my children's chair. It is not my wife's chair. Now, that sounds mean. I understand. Some of you, what I'm about to tell you is going to be overly personal, and you're going to think I'm rude and horrible, and you might be right, but listen. I have a chair in my home. Now, I grew up where oftentimes there was that chair. Like, Dad had a chair. Some of you have a grandparent, and, and, and I know this sounds a bit sexist, but I'm telling you, it seems to be that mostly women don't have chairs. It's the guy in the family, and I don't know why. I don't have a scientific study of that, but however, I have a chair in my home, it is an awesome chair. When I say awesome, like awesome does not describe it. In fact, I can prove this to you. See, it's not just my glorious understanding and enjoyment of this chair. Whenever we have people come over to our house, I have to share my chair. Uh, my wife makes me. And I, I'll, I'll watch somebody sit in the chair, not in a creepy way watch them, but, but they'll, they'll, sit in, they'll sit in my chair and I'll, I'll typically have a halfway through their experience, because it's an experience. Say, hey, how is that? Are, are you comfortable? Same reaction, same comment every single time. I don't want to get out of this chair. I'm like, I know. That's why it's a good chair. 
In fact, some people have told me, like, I couldn't own this chair because I wouldn't get out of the chair. I'm like, that's my problem, too. So I have a chair, and I love this chair. It's awesome. It's leather, so when I spill stuff on it, because I do spill stuff all of the time on it, that, that it would clean it up easily. But here's the problem I have with my chair, and this is going to be very open with you. You've got to listen to this, the whole story. When I get into that chair, rest of life, normal things in my family, I've got three kids and a wonderful bride. They continue to function and do things, but I'm sitting in my chair. But sometimes, I know this will baffle you, they want my attention while I'm in my chair. I know. Can you believe this? So I'll sit in my chair, and I'm loving my chair. It's awesome. It's a moment. And, and then the kids will say, and I've got three of them, and they're very uh, uh, excited kids, and they'll say, hey, Dad, why don't you come out and play with us? In my head, I'm going, every good dad would jump out of this chair and would race out to the outside and love to play. I know I've read all the articles, the books. I know it's a good example. It's what I need to do is spend time with my kids, but i got to tell you the open part of it is sometimes I'm like, I don't want to sit in my chair. I'm enjoying this. Daddy had a hard day at work. And you, See, some of you, you, you're playing holier than that. You're like, David, whatever my children ask me to do, whenever they do, I just go and let their beck and call. I love you. I just play with them all the time and say, you're awesome. I'm not, okay? So I'm just telling you the real thoughts going on in my head. Now, I do get up and we do go play. But I'm telling you, the honest part of it is like, I don't want to get on my chair. Now, there's other moments, too. You know, the kids have been put to bed. I get into my chair. It's a moment. It's awesome. And then Katie's like, hey, can I talk to you about the day? I'm like, oh, yes, I would love that. would love that. Do you want me to get out of my chair and, like, come close to you and we have to talk? And, yeah, okay. And I got to tell you, honest part, there's days that, Katie wants to talk, and getting out of the chair is the biggest decision. I'm like, I, how about we yell across the house? It's fine. You can hear me, right? You can hear me. And, and she's looking at me like, really? Is this, is this what's going to happen? See, some of you have chairs, and you understand what happens. You get into this chair, and something happens. And, and this comfort level goes up, and it begins to swallow you, and you hope the rest of the world stops for you so that you can enjoy the comfort. And then hours later, you're like, I've been in this chair way too long. It reclines, by the way. I'm not going to confirm or deny the fact that there may have been in the middle of the night that I've woken up in my chair and then gone to bed and go, oops. Uh, no, no, this chair, I, I tell you this why, because here, here's what's interesting. Comfort, uh, comfort sometimes keeps me from doing what I'm supposed to do. I think you're the same. When you get comfortable, when you get settled in, and then you got to go do something, you forgot to do something, or something gets called out, and you recognize you got to go do something, is that comfort then becomes at odds with that sacrifice you need to make, whatever it is. Sometimes it's a conversation, sometimes it's something that you need to do, a task, but I would tell you that all of life's simple life lesson, comfort is at odds with sacrifice. They're not best friends, they're mortal enemies. They don't share the same locker, they, they talk bad about each other. Sacrifice, comfort... They fight each other. They're against each other. And if you're open and honest about this, you would say and admit, <clears throat> sacrifice is not as involved in your life as it should be. You and I don't sacrifice as often as we're prompted to sacrifice. Most of us would have examples of like, yeah, I was supposed to do that or should have done that or gone out and played with my kids or had that conversation. Or maybe it's outside of your home and you know that you've been asked by God, prompted by God to sacrifice and you didn't. Here's the problem with sacrifice and why I bring it up. Our sacrifice is often someone else's survival. 
And there are folks all over the world, in our city, in our homes, all over the place that are desperate and are in great need. And if we don't sacrifice, they don't survive. There are marriages that will not survive unless we sacrifice on behalf of them. There are children who will go the wrong direction if we don't sacrifice. You know the stories about starving people across the world. You know that story that if you and I don't sacrifice, the right medication and food will not go to where it needs to be. And you have to agree that our sacrifice is often someone else's survival. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a question in under your side of the table that uh, you may not like and wish you hadn't come to church tonight. But, but listen, listen, listen. What line have you drawn in life where your willingness to sacrifice stops? Where are you not willing? Where, where does that, where's your chair? Where's your line that you've drawn? Like, I'll give this and this and invest in this person and this person, but here's the line. Here's what I won't do. And I'm not saying what you'll claim to do. I'm talking about your actions. What do your actions demonstrate that you're willing to do and your actions say that you're frankly not willing to do? Now, I, I open up this conversation because I'm going to get to the stories that I told you about, but I want us to go to something that Jesus talked about. You see, when I talk to you about sacrificing for other people, you need to understand that that directly relates to your understanding and relationship with Jesus. Jesus actually told us a story that said how you and I treat other people, how you and I engage the poor, is directly related to our love and enjoyment and understanding and worship of him. So if you've always wondered, or maybe heard or thought this idea or hoped, or, or maybe hope not, that, that on how you treat other people relates to Jesus, he tells a story. Here's the story, Matthew 25. He's been talking about his second coming. He's talking about the end of the days. He's talking about all the revelation stuff that some of you have got to pull back from. You are nerding out way too much and too freaked out. Stop it. Stop digging holes. Stop packing away food. Listen up. You've got to understand that we've got warnings, but we don't know when Jesus is coming back. If anyone ever tells you when Jesus is coming back, you just say, okay, I'm never <clears throat> gonna listen to you again. No one knows. But Jesus is talking about what's going to go on at the end and how this is going to unfold. And he tells a story about sheep and goats. Now, if you've been here long enough, you know that I really don't have a love for animals at all. You know that it hurts me to tell you a story about goats and sheep. But here's what happens. Jesus tells a story about how God, and he's using some, some um, wording to help you and I understand this. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He comes back. Some of you are like, well, what's a sheep do and what's a goat do? Because I want to be the right animal. <laughs> so here's, here's what he says, and here's so you understand what's going on. Because you and I have talked about being referred to as sheep. Listen to this. Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and... You clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Some of you wonder, wait a minute, who's this RCMU group? Fellas, you guys know about this. RCMU is our other location. We are in a prison. And people are like, why are we doing that? Just to be nice? No, because we love Jesus. And it's very clear in here that you and I must not avoid and run away from, and, and we need to get involved in everyone's life, everyone's life. So he goes on, verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and, and go to visit you? And the king will reply, listen to this, 
Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, whatever you did for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus tells us, listen to this, when you engage people who are in horrible situations, whether they created them or they did not create them, when you engage them and sacrifice for them and get involved in their lives and try to meet their needs, listen, you're not just being a good person. You are actually, listen to this, serving God. And I know it sounds like, well, that's, that's, that's big. That's a, that's, a, that's a big big statement. I know it is. So when we do Love Week, I mean, we're, yeah, we're going out to different nonprofits, and we're going out into school systems, and we're, we're meeting needs. There's bullet point lists of stuff that we need to do, and we go do that. But listen, listen, listen. We're not doing it just for them. We're doing them because we love God. And when we serve anybody, when someone holds a door open for you, you can say, hey, that was really nice. I didn't have to do that, but know this. We're doing it because they love you and they love God. Now, now Jesus turns the story a bit. Jesus doesn't, he's not just positive going, hey, you know, whatever you do for, for these people, uh, you do for me. He, he turns it. I'll just read one verse, verse 45. He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least, did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So I read that verse. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be able to tell you that I read that. I'm like, yep, I serve people every day. Every single day of my life I have invested in the lives of people who are in poverty or broken. I got to tell you, not so much. In fact, there's days that I know things about the reality of life that I don't get involved in. Let me give you some examples. Did you know statistically they say in America that over half of the people in nursing homes, listen to this, over half of the people, over 50% of the people in nursing homes do not get a single visitor in a year. I know that information, now you do. But I gotta admit to you, it does not compel me. I have not gone every week to see somebody in a nursing home even though I work within 100 yards of one. See, those types of things kind of mess with my heart and I begin to ask myself, why don't I do that? Uh, there's other statistics, 9.7 million children at least across the world will die of diseases that are completely preventable. If people like you and I would get involved, so you have to ask, why don't we get involved? What is it? What, what is keeping us from, from getting involved? And you, might, you can go down a list. Well, some of us are, are, are selfish, or some of us don't think we've got the means to do it, or some of us have different, different things. But listen, I think there's one main reason that keeps us paralyzed from being involved in people's needs. And, and, and the context of this is, I think a lot of us going, well, what's one person, one visit, what difference is that going to make? See, someone's like, well, what if I go to the nursing home one time this year, David, and go visit with one person? What's the big deal about that? You've missed out on what Jesus taught us. See, some of us think, oh, Jesus was so awesome, and all the disciples were so awesome, and all these Christians are so awesome. Jesus did not ask you to resolve poverty for everyone. He did not ask you to visit every single prisoner in captivity in the world. He did not ask you and I to do everything, but some of us jump onto the whole bandwagon. Well, we've got to do everything, and I can't go every single week, and I've got all this stuff to do. And No, 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 how about just one person at one time? And let me help you see this about Jesus. There's something about his heart that you need to connect to your own heart. And here it is. Listen to this. The needs of everyone did not keep Jesus. The needs of everyone did not keep Jesus from engaging the needs of a few. If you've missed out on this, most of us see the stories about Jesus, how he went from town to town to town, healing people, right? And Jesus raised a guy from the dead. Have you ever asked the question why he didn't raise everyone that should have been raised from the dead? He didn't heal everybody in every single town that he ever went to. 
And he doesn't ask you and I to engage all of poverty, all of brokenness. He basically tells you and I, whoever is in front of you, engage them. Whatever is in your path, do something. And for many of us, the the grand, massive picture of all of poverty and brokenness, we often don't engage because we don't know how to do it. Often we're afraid of what it's going to take from us long term. Church, listen. Stop thinking so far out. You're like, are you supposed to tell me that? Yes. Stop thinking so far out and look at what is in front of your face and begin doing this tomorrow. Say, God, make me aware of the needs today. And then then he'll show you. And he'll empower you and give you the resources to do what he wants you to do. So what about a church? Because most of us have stories of churches who engage the world. We go global and we go national. But most churches, and you have to own this, most churches are not super active, oddly enough, in their own city. I know that sounds weird. (laughs) I'm a preacher's kid. And I have to tell you that, that most churches are more involved globally than they are in their own cities. And I think that's a travesty. So we as a church have chosen to not only be involved globally and nationally, but locally. What would happen if a church, listen, a church were to say, what's in front of us? Rather than saying, okay, we've got to fix all the problems in all of the cities, all around us, everywhere. What if you and I were just to say, hey, 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 what's going on in our city? What's in front of us right now? And do you know one of the greatest needs in our community, one of the greatest needs, one of the top three is transportation. There are multiple people, single parents, families who are just on low income, that their vehicle, if they could just get a working vehicle, it could allow them to take their kids where they need to go, rather than keeping their kids at home instead of going to school because they can't get the kids to school. It would allow them to go to the workplace that they need to go to to get the job and show up on time. Uh, Literally, a vehicle becomes a game changer for multiple people. And for years, that need has gone unmet until a church that you know as Fountain Springs Church heard about and learned about this idea that we as a church could be involved in fixing and providing vehicles for people. So we started what was called the Shift Garage. I mean, that is a good name for a garage. A Shift Garage. And so here's what I want. I want you to see the story, this idea of applying this kind of a scripture where when we serve people who are around us, that we're engaging in not only the poor or the, the people who are broken or, or, or struggling, we're engaging them, but we're also loving God. What happens when a church gets involved in vehicles? You've got to see this story about the shift garage and what we as a church are doing in the lives of many people. Take a look. The very first car that we ever fixed through shift, I think so clearly lays out what we're doing here, the, the problem. The very first car we ever fixed was a mid-90s big Ford sedan. It was a single mom with five kids. Her car had broken down, the ball bearing had, the ball joint in the front had broken, the tire folded under the car, it was totally worthless. One of her kids was driving it to work. So she couldn't afford to fix it. They towed it to a shop, she couldn't afford the tow bill. Well, this car we're talking about is worth $700. It's not worth anything, but it's what they need to get to work. So we've got a single mom. She can't afford the repair bill, but now she can't get to work to make money to afford the repair bill. She's stuck. There is no program to fix that. So we found out about it. Um, We went and paid the tow bill, paid the storage fees. I bought the part. 
through the church was, I think it was $200. Put it in myself. I was, I was shift. It was the first car. We didn't have a program. We didn't have volunteers. Um, I put it in. We got her back on the road, and she could go another day. I mean, her, of her five kids, I think two of them had jobs. They all needed that car. As shift evolves, every time we get a new partnership or we get a part for cheaper, we just become more efficient and more streamlined and it all gets better. But that, the partnership with the shop space we meet at now was by far the biggest thing that's ever propelled us. There's no way we'd be anywhere near we are where we are today without that. Um, and we've been in that shop space for almost two years now, I wanna say. And it's just, the growth hasn't been like this. It's just been ramped just crazy growth since then. So we're actually in the second location of Shift right now. This is our second shop space. We're still operating out of Fred and Lanny's at Doug Sinclair, um, but we're gonna run out of this shop also. We have too many volunteers for one shop now. We have too much uh, demand. I tell people when you offer free car repair, business is good. That's usually not a problem. Um, uh, if you guys have been coming to Fountain Springs a long time, you know last year we fixed our 100th car around April 4th. This year, on April 2nd, we fixed our 200th vehicle, uh, which is fantastic. It means we're fixing more than 100 a year now. Um, we're also just on the verge of becoming a licensed dealership in the state of South Dakota, which will mean much faster process times for the donated cars to go in and out. Um, it means we're legal to sell more than five cars a year, which through your generous donations, we have been able to do. That funds the ministry quite a bit, takes a lot of burden off of the church to fund it. It's just awesome all around. Um, I believe that we are poised with the two shops set up to fix 150 cars in the next year instead of 100. Um, I think that's fantastic. I can't wait until we're celebrating our 500th car. It's going to be amazing. I want to introduce you uh, to, to Joe, Pastor Joe, Reverend Joe, if you're in the mood. Uh, he is ordained, and, and, and with Pastor Joe and I, uh, we, we knew each other a little bit, but we got to know each other. We, we both were in the same van on the way to the same conference uh, several years back now, and Joe began to tell me about a dream of his that he wanted to lead a car um, fixing system inside of a church, which I was like, that sounds intriguing. That's awesome. And, and the way I think is like, well, then I, well, I want to do that. I don't, I don't have the money to do that or hire you, but that sounds absolutely amazing. So the only job we could offer him was to take care of the facilities. <laughs> I said, hey, you could start that at Fountain Springs. We can't hire you to do that. You, you need to help clean and, and, and fix things. He's like, okay. Now his full-time job is to run the shift garage because we as a church are now seeing such a demand it's such a need that we invest in that because you give. And so this is Joe Smith. Uh, his, yeah. <laughs> Some of you are like, I grew up in church, and our church never had a mechanic on staff. Uh, well, now you do. <laughs> so, so I asked Joe, I want Joe to tell us a story. So sit back, get comfortable, relax and chill, and listen to what God has done through your generosity and through a group of people who are willing to work on cars. So, Joe, storytelling time. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Um, oh, where to start? There's so many stories. I'm a big fan of the Shift Garage, um, <laughs> so I could go on about it forever. 
Um, like I said, we are fixing over 100 cars a year now. Um, we're about to start that second shop, be working out of two shops at the same time, uh, which is fantastic. Um, we're going to give away, I want to say, like 20 cars a year, um, which is fantastic. Um, I'll just jump right into the story. Okay. We, um, we've become more efficient and uh, a little bit more streamlined as we've gone along, and the process right now uh, for giving away a car, uh, you fill out an application, and then we review that application as a board. We have a, a board of people, um, and then we bring you in for an interview. Um, the story I want to share with you is about a guy named Ken. Ken is a likable guy. You've met somebody like Ken. When you say something and it's Ken's turn to talk, he laughs a little bit before he talks, and he laughs a little bit after he's done talking. He's just joyful. He's always in a good mood. This is, this is Ken. You know who I'm talking about. And um, Ken came to us. He lived at the Cornerstone Rescue Mission, so essentially homeless for those of you following along at home. Um, and he had so many reference letters that came in. People told us about Ken. Everybody knows Ken, you know, that guy. Um, everybody knows him. He seems to have a story with somebody. And they said, this is a guy that needs a car. He helps people out in every way he can right now. And if he had a car, he would help people out with that. We brought Ken in interviewed him. We loved what was going on with Ken. We saw the passion. We saw the spark. And we also do the practical things. We make sure he's got a plan for taking care of a car. Is this car going to get you a job to where you can get into a better situation? We're always looking for that. Um, we gave Ken a car, a car that was donated by a Fountain Springer, and he has done just that. He gives people rides at the Cornerstone Mission all the time. He has a toolkit in the trunk. He'll fix their cars on site. He just has a great heart. This is the guy we're looking for to help. We want to help people that are going to help people with that blessing. He's, that's a great, great guy. Um, another one I wanted to tell you about is uh, we had a single mom with eight kids. I want to make sure you heard that. Because the first car we had, I said, single mom with five kids. If you're like me, you're still reeling from that. Um, I co-parent three kids, and that's a ton of work. Eight kids. She came in, she had what seemed like a nice car. It looked nice, it was mid-2000s. It was a car that we would think was a pretty standard car. Well, looking at it, it had over 250,000 miles on it. And literally, you would put this on the lift, and as it lift, the tires would kind of swoop in because they were barely hanging on. I mean, you could literally do this with the tires. She didn't know any of that. Before she met us, she thought it was fine. And she's hauling these kids around in this thing, not realizing at any minute one of those tires could fall off. Well, somebody had donated a van, and we were able to get her into a vehicle that she could drive that actually held eight kids because her car didn't. She couldn't take them all to the same place at the same time. She had to pick what she was going to do, which I'm sure is a scheduling nightmare. But we were able to get into a van. It wasn't, wasn't fancy, wasn't pretty. But it got the job done, and I get to see that van all over town now. I see that van once a month um, that she's driving around. So it's really cool what we're able to do because of your guys' support. That's all. Cool. So there are ways uh, that basically you, you deal with cars differently based on the condition of the car. But talk to us about literally that you got a system. Sure. Of what happens if a car gets donated or someone needs a car? What's the whole process look like? Sure. So the first thing, um, car repairs somebody that has a vehicle that needs repairs, that's most of what we do. If you have a vehicle that needs repairs, if you know somebody that has a vehicle that needs repairs, um, 
you can go to the fountainspringschurch.com website, click on adults, and then outreach, and then there's a shift garage tab right there, and you can fill out the uh, form online. That goes right to my desk. I get that directly. Um, also, we have them at the info station. We have paper applications. Not everybody has internet. I know that kind of blows your mind, but there's some people we still got to do paper so that we can get this done, um, and we'd, we'd love to see if we can help. Um, then if you donate a vehicle, and we take any vehicle on four wheels that rolls, if it meets those conditions, then we'll take it because um, we can use it in any condition if it's just got to be crushed. And some people know that when they donate. They go, we use this thing up, and it's done now. Um, we can part it out. We can get better prices for salvaging it, and then we can put that money into fixing cars and giving cars away. Um, some cars we're able to fix up and give away. And in a lot of situations, it doesn't make financial sense for you to fix it up and give it away because you've got to pay retail for parts, you've got to pay for labor. We get better prices on parts. All, all of our volunteers are free labor. So we can put a lot of cars back on the road that it wouldn't make sense for you to put back on the road, if you understand what I'm saying. And then occasionally, we get really nice vehicles donated, and it makes more sense Instead of giving that vehicle to one family and helping them out, we can sell that vehicle and help five or six families by buying parts uh, for their cars. And so we can use any, any situation. We've got a, a process in place, and we've, we try to, to do the most good we can with every donation we get. Um, and there's also a donation form at the same spot on the website uh, or the info station. Um, we would love that. That helps out a lot. We just had a big win recently. Something that you guys have struggled with, we've been struggling on, on doing some, giving cars to where they need to go and all that. Talk to us about the problem that we had and the, and the win that we had. We, um, we reached a point uh, with the shift ministry as we, again, you saw, we started out with nothing and kind of built from here. And it's all been an experiment because not every church has a mechanic on staff. Mm -hmm. So awesome. it's kind of bumping around. Uh, we reached a point where we realized we're going to have to become a dealership to break through this this wall that we're at, and worked on that for, I don't know how long, it's embarrassing to say two years, so I'll call it one year, and <laughs> <laughs> we realized we just, we're not the normal, when I go for insurance, they go, well, you're a dealership, right, you're a for-profit selling cars, and I go, well, we're a little bit different than that, <laughs> and they're not really set up to handle that, so it's taken a long time, but just a couple of weeks ago, this church, meaning you guys, became a licensed car dealership in the state of South Dakota. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're all salesmen. We'll discuss your commissions later. <laughs> Dream come true, right? You're like, I want to go to a church that's a dealership. No. But how cool is that? So what that, we've had cars in waiting. We've had cars that we couldn't give away because we couldn't transfer the title in a way that, that was effective. So we literally now have gone through this, and this is, I, I think, God's favor on, on letting us get that and how that's worked out. That's awesome. So, okay, okay. So now we know how to get involved in this, but there's other things that we're engaged in as a church. All, all year long, every single week, talk to us about some of that. Yeah. There's obviously a ton of things that we do right here. I mean, this is what we do. There's a ton of ways to serve in this building. A lot of them are not what you think. Um, I'm going to use one quick example. I'm a pastor's son. My dad's been a pastor as long as I've been alive. Um, I pastored a church before I came here. I've been a part of a lot of churches. And when you talk about serving in the kids' ministry, my experience is I have to write the curriculum that week and then teach it on Sunday. And that's a lot of work. And that's not what it's like here at all. 
They've done all the, the back work. It's much simpler than you think. And a lot of the things that we do here are like that. If you just check it out for a second, it's probably a lot different than you think. Um, we also do a lot in the community. Yeah, shift is not the only thing we do. Um, we partner with Cornerstone Rescue Mission. I mentioned them earlier. We do a lot of things for them. Um, we just rebuilt the veterans wing. They have a wing for veterans there. We rebuilt their bathroom and made it really cool and nice. Uh, big deal for them. And then one that doesn't get a lot of press is Habitat for Humanity. I know we mentioned in the video that we spent $45,000 this week helping our community, which is amazing. Do you know that year to date, we've already spent close to 40000 supporting Habitat for Humanity? And that number will keep going up as the year goes on. Uh, we're doing stuff with them all the time. And then my personal favorite that we do uh, are called Saturday Serves. And it's basically a miniature love week on the second Saturday of every month. I know I just said that. It's not in July. It does start August 8th is the next one. And then the second Saturday of every month after that, there's a different project. All the same stuff we just did this week that you enjoyed so much, there's a little bit of that that we get to do every month. And it's always different. It keeps you entertained, keeps it from getting monotonous. There's always something to do. Very cool. So if you missed it, listen. There's three ways to serve in this church uh, on the weekends in this building. And then locally in different nonprofits and schools. And then globally. If you are not serving at all, I suggest you start serving in this building on the weekends. We're able to reach a lot of people. And many of you, you've got to get involved. If you're not getting involved, start there. But I, let me encourage you to always want to be a part of a church community that is investing in the lives of other people. In other words, it's paying attention to the people who don't have what they need or aren't in the place that they should be at. That's what we should be involved in. 